You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, Redeemer. My name is Kelly Litch, and I will be doing the scripture reading. Uh, Today we're in Romans chapter 6. We'll start with verse 12, and we'll go through verse 23. Romans 6, verses 12 through 23. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Kelly, appreciate that. Um, Welcome, everybody. My name is Dusty, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm jumping into Romans 6, and uh, this is a really interesting passage because what we're going to be trying to get to today is um, the relationship between grace and obedience. And I think it's a really important one that I think that nearly everybody in here is asking, albeit from a lot of different angles, that uh, we're trying to figure out, like, what I'll ask this sometimes to some of my friends who uh, maybe have, like, a real light, um, you know, background in church and all that, or maybe not at all, uh, but they may, maybe they would even assume that they're a Christian and, and, but then try to put some pieces together and I'll say, okay, so how has, um, how has grace and this, you know, the Christian message and uh, the beliefs that you have 
in what ways has that impacted how you live? Can you think of any areas that it has? And a lot of times you'll get kind of a blank stare about, well, I don't know. I mean, I've just got my beliefs and I was raised this way and I can't really tell you any way that it's changed how I live. And that might be one expression of it, but there's another expression of it of people that are actually pretty committed Christians who will, who are just tired. Like they're really trying to do the stuff and trying to raise kids in the right way and trying to uh, do the Christian stuff and to be generous and to be at church and to read the Bible and to do the stuff and are exhausted, and they're like, man, I, I, even that same question is on their mind about, okay, so I got my golden ticket to heaven when, by grace, and they would, they would probably even say it that way, like I, by grace, believed in Jesus at the beginning, but then, but then now, like I just feel like I'm on a hamster wheel of like religious stuff, trying to, trying to do the good things, and I'm not actually sure how grace actually connects with, with all these, these things that you do as a part of Christianity. And, um, and so what relationship does grace have to obedience? And this all started at the very beginning of this, and I'm just going to reread this verse in, in, uh, at the very beginning of chapter 6, that we were actually in this passage last week, and so today is a really a continuation of this. And this is the question, and it's, it's the question I just posed is, uh, you know, uh, what should we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? And so this is saying, hey, well, if I sin a lot, then wouldn't that you know, glorify God because he'd give a lot of grace? And the answer is no, you should by no means do that. Uh, maybe another version of that that a lot of us have in here is, you know, I know I probably shouldn't think this, do this, say this, but God will give grace, it'll be fine, because that's what he does. He forgives, so it's no big deal if I do it. That'd be another way of saying verse 1. And so really the whole point of what Paul's doing in this chapter is saying, all right, let's, let's explore the relationship of grace and what we do, because there's a lot more of a link than you think. So what I want to do is I want to look at a slide real quick that we talked about last week, because this will help just to orient you to the part of Romans we're in. All those numbers are chapters, and what we're in the middle of is a long argument from the Apostle Paul and he's saying, look, you are, you, you're, who you are, your being has changed if you're a Christian. And I'm hoping this will be really attractive to you if you're not a Christian, where you would move from a realm of at, controlled by Adam and sin and death and the law and the flesh from chapters 5 through 8, transferred by God's grace through Jesus' death and resurrection to this new realm dominated by Jesus, by righteousness, by um, eternal life, by grace, by the Spirit, and you're, you're moved from one realm to the next. And so the, the overall flow is going to be because your being has changed, it now empowers your doing and what it is that you actually do in regards to obedience. So that's this realm transfer. So let's pick up in verse 12. And we're going to pick up in verse 12 here, and um, this is pulling together uh, because of you've died with Christ and now you're alive with Christ because your being has been altered. Now it says, verse 12, let not sin therefore, because of all that, because your being has been altered, because of this realm transfer, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. And so this is saying, like in your actual experience now, how out of place it would be because your being has been changed um, supernaturally uh, because of what Jesus has done, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which will come up in chapters 8, because of all of these realities, um, letting, we can't let it reign in us. Like it shouldn't be in charge how out of place this would be for someone that's been made uh, alive in Jesus. Let's pick up in verse 13. 
It even gets more specific. Do not present your members. This would be your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, um, everything, like your, your body, like your actual experience of how it is that you live. Let's Don't present our members um, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves. So this is rather than that, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So his argument is because your being has been altered is you used to be in this realm over here dominated by death and the law and the flesh and you've now been transferred into this realm of grace dominated by Jesus and because you because of this then let's not let our real experience our hands our feet our eyes our nose our all that instead of it being in service of our old master that we want to be in service of our new one like we want our life to reflect the supernatural realities um, internally and um, so it would be shocking for us to like actually even love this old life and love these old ways of thinking and doing that um, it's out of place for someone that has been uh, transformed by Jesus's grace. And I love verses 14 and 15. And these are some of the most shocking of the whole passage, I think. It says, for sin will have no domination or dominion over you. So this is, he's making this argument, sin should not uh, dominate you and be in control. All right. Now, what I would expect under this next part on the comma is since the Bible has so many clear rules, you know, that's what I would expect it to say. Sin should not uh, be in charge anymore. It shouldn't rule you because God's been super clear about this. And he's told you what to do and not to do. And, and it's in detail in the Old Testament. But honestly, even in the New Testament, there are loads and loads of commands, tons of clarity on our moral life, on what we should do and how we should live. That's what you would think it would say is don't be in charge. God's already told you what to do. So go do it. All right, let's go break, get out of here, go do the right stuff, stop doing the wrong things and let's get out of here. Um, but, but that's not what it says. That's what you would expect. Pretty much every religion in the world, that's what you would expect it to say is do better, you know, but it says sin's not going to dominate you, not because we're going to do better and start doing, stop doing wrong things and start doing right things. But since you're not under law as a realm, as a means of righteousness, but you're under grace. Like this is just shocking that, um, that we would say that grace would actually be the thing that would cause us to not be dominated by sin, which are all the things that oppose God. Now, that is just a, a shocking reality that that's what it would say. And even the answer is, like, it's restatement of verse one of, are we going to just keep sinning so that, uh, because we're not under the law, because we're not, we don't, that is not the, the realm that we are dominated by anymore uh, because we're under grace. Should we keep sinning? It's like, no, let me come back there again. Absolutely not. By no means. Let me give you just a quick example of this about, okay, what would it mean to not be under law, but under grace? In two weeks, so we're going to take a week off from, um, from um, Romans next Sunday after Thanksgiving. We're going to return in two weeks in chapter 7. And I'm just going to expand what I'm trying to do right now really quickly. I'm going to try to do a lot in chapter 7 because it's really drawing this contrast of the law as, as a realm that controls and grace. And so the thing about the law in the Old Testament, and by extension, I'm going to say commands and even good principles is that it's actually good things. Like the, the law in and of itself is good. Like these boundaries, these rules are good rules. The problem isn't with the rules. The problem is with our heart. And if you are, the reason why the law can never be the ultimate motivator of us, like a new person that would lead to new living, is because it's unable to change the heart. And so I'll give you an example. Um, so let's say like a thing that the Bible is pretty clear about is how we handle money. Let's use that as an example. 
that um, the Bible would say, hey, look, there's principles for like debt to be avoided. I mean, I think there's some kinds of debt that are that, are, that can be um, good and helpful. Other kinds of debt that would be are, are generally pretty destructive. Uh, but you know, saving is a good thing. That's in the Bible. Being generous is commanded by God in both testaments. Like those are there's some basic principles for how to not to not love money. There, there's a bunch of different things. Not covet. There's all these laws, right? And um, so what ends up happening if what you try to do is try to address the things that are wrong with you only with the law, here's what you get, is on the one hand, you can wilt because you could say, ah, man, I overspend and I did it again. I told myself I wasn't going to spend too much on food this month, you know, but you know, I got to have the guac and Chipotle. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? You know, and, um, and that, that shirt was really cool and whatever, you know, like, and I know, I, I know I shouldn't have, but I, I spent the money and, and, uh, I just can't, I can't get out of debt. And like, you start despairing of, oh man, I'm just, I'm a loser. I can't get it. I can never get ahead. And right when I get ahead, something happens and, and all this. So that's one response to like these standards and, you know, oh, great. They're talking about generosity again at church. You could even get bitter and jaded about that, about, oh, they just want my money and go to, go to a weird place with it. Right. Um, or the other option that will happen with the law sometimes is like you'll learn the principles, like not only in the Bible, but even, you know, Financial Peace University. And we actually have that class here that we host from time to time. And um, and, I mean, I'll be straight with you. You should probably do just about everything that Dave Ramsey tells you to do. It's smart. It's good. And there's, there's things here. Let's get out of debt. Let's save money and I'll I'll, I'll do all that. But then you can get to a point where like, okay, so I'm not overspending anymore and I'm saving and I'm even giving to my church and some missionaries and some other people and needs that I see. But here's the thing is even the law, even the good rules got good principles. They, They can't change the heart. So it's possible to have your spending controlled, but then what you're wanting all of that savings to do in the future may still be really all about you and what you're wanting that pile of money that you're accumulating to do for you in terms of people respecting you and having future comforts. And you may even be generous, but you may look at that money flying out of your account to different, uh, to different things, your church and missionaries and, and ministries in the city that are doing good and even resent it a little bit. And really, it feels like another bill to you. It feels like LPNL and it feels like a tax and you just start, it goes out of your account. You resent in it. You wish you had an excuse to keep it because of the things you could do for it, but you want to be a good person and you want to be doing the right thing. So the money goes out, but you resent it while it does and your heart is disconnected from it. Um, That's what a a law-oriented motivation would do. Even when you're doing the right things, you either um, feel a sense of guilt and inadequacy when you're not, or you're checking the boxes, doing the stuff, performing religiously, doing the right things, but your heart is disengaged, maybe even resenting the sacrifices that you have. Uh, but on the other hand, you have this, this realm of grace that what it does, because of what Jesus has done, that actually causes us to be connected to. And, and the ordering here is really important. It's, the, it's that grace comes first and then obedience it's grace, it changes our being, and that empowers the doing, which is the obedience. If we get these things inverted, what you end up having is that I'm going to try to obey enough so that maybe then I'll be okay with God, and everything breaks when we do this. So grace changes our being, and then the doing follows. Now I'm going to skip down, I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 21, even though there was really funny stuff in there that I loved, like Paul saying, I'm going to bring this down to the bottom shelf for you guys. Uh, you know what I mean? Like He's like, look, I'm going to speak in a human way. In other words, 
I know that you're kind of missing my argument here, so I'm just going to bring it all the way down to you. And I love that, that he did that. And verse 21, he's going to have like a different argument here that's really interesting. Because up till now, he's making like these big sweeping realities of, of what God has done in us. He's changed our being and he's moved you from this realm to this one. And how in the world would we want to act in a way that's out of line with this new reality of grace? But now he's going to make a different argument and appeal to you in a different way. Look at this, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time uh, from the things of which you are now ashamed? So by fruit, he's saying, like, what flowed from you? When you're, when you're living your own way and rejecting, um, rejecting God's grace and sinning and, um, you know, living, living in line, being mastered by sin, all right? Like, how, how did that work out for you? You know, it was basically what he says. And look at this next part. He says, for the end of those things, he even answers the question. The end of all those things were death. If you just follow it all the way out, like those things killed you. Like they were super destructive uh, for you and dishonoring to God. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, which is growth in Christ and even Christ-likeness and how you live. Um, and, uh, and its end, eternal life. So think about it. What did you get out of it whenever you lived your own way and rejected God? Like, what was the fruit of that? And then, by contrast, what's the fruit of whenever you've trusted Jesus? Like, what have the, both of these things done for your life? And then he just sums it all up in an amazing verse. Um, says, for the wages of sin is death. Like, what you get from sin is always death. That's always what comes from it. It is never life-bringing. On the other hand, God's gift, eternal life, through Jesus' death and resurrection, always brings life. That's the contrast here. So let me just play this out a little bit. Like, if you were to explore this idea of the fruit, what, what the fruit you got, he's basically saying, how did, how's it worked out for you? Whenever you've lived your own way, and even if you're like, no, I am a Christian, but then we just continue to cultivate these acts of rebellion against God, and we sin against God, and we live in that way. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One that would be typically for the young, and this is stereotypically, and then the other one's going to be stereotypically for people who are older, more like the adult uh, flow of life. So here's how it works. So sometimes is that for someone who's younger, that I actually am really like burdened for our young right now because I think that how most of them are just like super bored with like everything, like nothing, nothing moves the needle. And kind of bored with life, bored with the phone, bored with computer game, everything, you know, everything's boring. And, um, and so like what exists out there to kind of get you out of like the, you know, out of just this little boring funk, like what exists? And well, I can think of two things, substances. So like lots of alcohol or drugs or something like that, or, or like sex. Like those are things that take you from this to like, there's a real point of exhilaration and like you feel like out of the boring and maybe even depression and like it like works for a minute. And so, uh, so what you end up doing is like, if you were to ask someone in the minute, it may feel like it's really working, these escapes. And by the way, I said stereotypically young, the, I, I know plenty of 40 year olds that are still, even while they've got jobs still, that's still how we're handling life. And so um, the, the fruit of this though, is if you just play all this out is that, okay, so you, you use these substances and the hookups and anything else to try to make everything okay. But then just think about the end of it. And that's really what Paul's doing here is like, where does this take you? And you may say right now that you're living your best life, but what happens after 20 Saturday nights of it? And, um, you know, and then you wake up and you're like, man, these people don't even love me. Like they, they enjoy the party version of me and I'm having these little touches of intimacy, you know, real quick. And then there's nothing. And like, I'm lonely now. Like it, it's all fun, but it's actually making things worse for me. And, and again, this is what this passage is saying is, look, how has this worked out for you? Just think it all the way through, all the way through. And what you realize is, is this has brought 
death to me. I've not got a head in this. And you, especially if you're a Christian, it's like this super uneasy place to be. It's like you're miserable. You know the life God's calling you into, but you keep living according to the old life. And, and the end result has been a kind of death. Even if I'm not questioning your salvation, that's not the point. But I'm just saying like you, you're experiencing all the fruit of death, like the fruit you did. And that's what he's saying is like, think about that. Where did it take you and how out of place this is for someone that's been saved by Jesus's grace? Let me switch to someone who's, who's older. Um, this person, on the other hand, um, is like, they're like, no, nah, man, I don't got time for any of that. And I'm too exhausted anyways to be staying up past uh, 10, 15. And, uh, and so for uh, this person, you, like you're grinding, like you're going and you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, get your career established. And like for you, like success there is really what you're trying to do, get a business going and, and move, move ahead in your career and you're working really hard at it. And, uh, but then your whole identity's there. And so you're grinding away at that and it's success and you're trying to get money so that people will respect you if you've accomplished enough things and if you have enough money and if you live in the right spot drive the right vehicle and then and then you have children and then and then it becomes you, you need these kids now to similarly be successful and they need to be good at stuff and they need to be excelling in school and they need to be good at athletics or the arts or whatever you're into and so like their success and your success and you're you're hoping for respect and approval and even some creature comforts and you keep doing it and it may even feel like it's working it can be exhilarating um, seeing the the uh, money accumulate in the account and and, uh, you know, putting competitors out of business and uh, your kid uh, hitting a three in somebody's eye or whatever it is, you know, like whatever the thing would be, it it can be exhilarating. But again, think it all the way through. Where does this take you? And it's just interesting. I was talking to one of our members about this um, last week and he said, you know, He's just reflecting on his own professional career. And he said, man, I remember the first time, like, I made, you know, closed a couple of big deals and made, you know, made some good money. Like, it, it was like, wow, it was like a, this real buzz. He said, but now, man, it's like so empty. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing it, and I'm doing my job, and, like, I'm interested in my job. But he said the money itself is, like, super empty at the end of the day. Like, it, it, it just doesn't do a whole lot, you know, for me. Like, I'm immediately turning around thinking how to make more of it and how to protect it. And so you just think it all the way through. Like, where does this take you? And even thinking through where it takes your children when you're like, you know, success is everything and we've been doing nothing but travel baseball and whatever, soccer, whatever it is that we're into, and thinking that your kid's going to flip a switch automatically when they're, when they're 20 in college and want to follow Jesus and be engaged with the church, and that's not any of the things they've experienced with you. Like, just think it all the way through. Like, what, what, what does this take you? Where does this take you and your children? And so this is the question. What's the fruit of that? And then contrasted. And, and I love that because at the end of the day, God's calling us into something beautiful, which is to walk by grace and then for us to experience this kind of grace. And then the obedience flows from that, not the other way around, not the other way around. And then we get to enjoy the good fruit of obeying Jesus, not so that he'll finally like us, but because he already accepts us because of Jesus. It's this incredible thing. So I want to bring up two uh, flawed approaches that I sometimes see to obedience um, just to wrap this together. And hopefully this will be helpful. Okay, so two flawed approaches. So one is going to be a a passive approach. Like you hear these things and you're like, okay, um, all right, so what do I do with this? Here's one. By the way, I've done both of these these things here that I'm going to mention. So this one here would say, you know, I know I should, you know, get my spending under control. I've already mentioned that one. Should be more generous. Uh, or I need to quit, you know, the Saturday night hookup, get drunk thing. I need to, you know, I need to quit chasing money. I need to quit, you know, put so much pressure on my kids to be amazing at every turn. And you know what? Whenever God changes my heart on that, 
uh, I'm going to be there. Like when God gives me a motivation to read the Bible, I'm going to wake up and read the Bible. When God gives me a motivation to, to you know, stop you know, looking at porn or whatever, whatever God changes my, my I'll, I'll step there when he changes it. So in essence, this is almost um, putting all of this on God, like that if you're sinning, that it's God's fault for not changing your heart. If you just really, again, think through the, the end conclusion of that, that's just an interesting, interesting spot to land. I mean, let me ask you this. When you've heard all that you've heard from Romans chapter 6, do you get the impression that, um, that while God certainly is the first mover in all this, do you get the impression that you're not an active participant in, um, in this grace becoming concrete in your members, you know, in your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, how you live, like your everyday life? Because I don't. When I read this, God is absolutely moving. He changes our being. But in the weird part of this is, is that we're actually called in to participate into what God has done, this grace that would actually become concrete in how it is that we live. Like you're an active participant, therefore certainly not passive. Here's another flawed approach that we can sometimes have is what I would call a behavior modification approach, which I also have done this one a lot. You're like, man, you do a lot of dumb things. That's 100% accurate. It really helps my sermons because I've got so many ways of not to do things. But here's what you do in the behavior modification approach is you're like, okay, uh, I've got to get my spending under control and I've got to get more generous and I've got to quit doing that on Saturday night. I need one drink, not 30, you know, and I need to, uh, I need to, I need to, I need to do this and I need to do that. And, and like the whole idea becomes sinning less, you know, and to use the metaphor from last week, um, I'm going to weed eat the top of my flower bed of all the weeds as opposed to getting to the root of it. And I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to try to, you know, do less bad things so that I'm kind of in the good category and maybe God will be uh, less frustrated with me. Um, the problem with this is that, um, is that this person is doing almost everything in their own power to, to stop these things, everything but Jesus, it's like everything but his grace, you know? I'm going to get my money under control. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to start this. I'm going to get accountability. And again, do all that. That's all like smart, right? Um, but instead of like receiving grace from God, like we get things out of order and, and start with the obedience and doing everything we can to like obey, uh, but we're not connected to him. And it's not flowing from a place of grace that moves into obedience and we get things out of order. And, um, and listen, this is just where I'm at with all this is that... Um, I, I've been a Christian now for, I mean, I'm approaching four decades now. And here's what I've learned is that um, when I was first a Christian, like when I was like, okay, are you a sinner? I was like, yes, I am. And for me, that meant sometimes I'll talk back to my mom and, um, you know, sometimes I'm something. I mean, I, I don't even know. I mean, it would have been, uh, I, I probably could be less self, selfish than I am. What's funny is now four decades in, like I could give you like a list of things that are like messed up in me. Like I'm so much more aware of areas that are out of alignment with God's word than I used to be. However, I'm more aware of sin, but here's the beautiful part of the path for a Christian is I'm more aware of even mixture of motives. Like mostly I want you guys to know about Jesus and walk in his grace right now. Like 98%. 2% of me wants you to think I talk good, you know, and for you to think I'm okay at what I do and to respect me. And, I'll, and, that's, and you're just aware of this. That can be morbid. But here's the reality. For the Christian that's been transferred by grace into this new realm through Jesus and through the empowering work of the Spirit, now, yes, I'm aware of my sin, but it's not the final word. I'm more aware ever than God's grace and how kind he is and how loving. And I, I can live out of a place of acceptance with God and now reapproach what we 
we do on a Saturday night and now reapproach how it is that we think of money in our career and raising children and anything, anything you want to mention um, that now I'm, I'm aware that I'm more of a mess than, than I thought. Uh, but the grace is um, even deeper and more real than any other thing. And um, that is my deep hope for you is that you would experience God in this way. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pray and let's just even ask for the Lord to change us and to move. And so I want you to think of one area, and we did this a little bit last week, but I want you to think of, of one area that you would love to see God, like maybe a sin. If you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you're like, man, this is an area that's kind of whipping my tail right now, honestly. And like, I'm not winning here. And why don't you, why don't you just take that to the Lord right now? And I'm going to pray for God to change that by his grace. So let's, let's pray that together. Or for that thing that is in someone's mind that, um, that there would be just a clear, beautiful link between your grace and obedience in that area. And um, that we would believe, Lord, we confess together that even though in the moment it may seem like that thing brings life, Lord, we want to admit that um, there's always death that comes from that, always. Like we are never ahead when we disobey you. And Lord, we also admit sometimes we try to address those things in our own power. And, um, and, and that's also been exhausting. And so, Lord, would you help us to abide in you, receive grace from you, and through the empowering work of the Spirit, that um, that sin's power would be um, diminished greatly in our lives. And um, and that obedience flowing from grace is what we'd experience. So that area, that there'd be be growth in grace this week um, in us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.